Good morning. Thanks for joining me on the Meg Ellison Show. We will get to our exciting music during another break. I, I was just, I, well, there's a lot of moving parts, as you can tell. My guest this morning, Will Martin. Oh, my gosh. We ha- we always have such great conversations off air and on air. You make my cheeks hurt <laughs> because <laughs> I come in smiling so much when I'm around you. So. Oh, right back at you. It's a mutual admiration society of two. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'm sure that there are others that adore you as much as I do. I know they do because you, um, you've so many people that, that I've talked with when you've been campaigning all over the state have said. It's been a blessing to get out and meet people around the state because, uh, you know, people talk about the weather, but the warmest people live in Wisconsin. Yeah, isn't that something? But, uh, I mean, we have to we have to uh, huddle together to stay warm, so that's how we do it. But, yeah, and I was uh, adjusting the temperature in here. It's never, it, it never feels like it's just right in here. I'm always adjusting hot, cold, hot, cold, but that could be me too. <laughs> uh, I should be running around, um, but... Uh, I am running around mentally like a chicken with her head cut off. But so uh, when we went to break, we, uh, you know, I kind of teed it up and I want to give you an opportunity to talk more because yeah. sometimes I, I, I tend to yammer on when it, when I'm, you know, in studio with you and even off, but, you know, off, off the I just record. I like listening to you. So. Oh, gosh. Stop. But so let's talk first about your, um, your political. Um, well, how did you come to conservatism? Oh, well, Look at you turning into the whole. Hey, you said you were going to go first. I think I, I guess I I guess I I may have told the story before, but so I, I shared that I was raised in a divided household, a very Democrat mom, very Democrat mom, and a very conservative Republican dad. And my dad wasn't always. He was a, I would say he was a Kennedy Democrat, and then he started to see the light, and uh, then I think he found Rush Limbaugh, and I can remember uh, listening to listening to my dad listen to Rush Limbaugh when I was uh, growing up and thinking, well, initially, because I had my mom in the background, I, you know, I didn't have much interest in Rush Limbaugh. But I, as I got a little bit older, when I graduated from college uh, and got my first job and started paying taxes, gee, well, I mean, I'd had obviously little part-time jobs during since I was 16 years old, but my first real job out of college, I thought, wow. And, and then I actually started listening because, you know, when you're young, you don't really listen to your parents. And, and I certainly didn't listen to my dad uh, initially. But then when I saw or when I heard Rush Limbaugh, I thought, wow, this guy makes so much sense. And I, I agree with him. And I, and I think, I mean, it's, it's tough, honestly, in my opinion, it's tough not to be a conservative. I mean, it, it really is, is frankly impossible. <laughs> and so that's, I mean, that's kind of, my story is listening, well, my dad's influence and then listening to Rush Limbaugh and just, I don't know, sort of seeing the light. How about you? Well, for me, my family, uh, they had not been Republicans since the Great Depression. Wow. Right? If you think about uh, the, the number of African Americans who were solidly Republican coming out of the Civil War, the Reconstruction period on, so our family were were among those folks that had been solidly Republican prior to. But when the Great Depression came Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, FDR and the number of programs and people were in desperate uh, situations, families shifted. And so uh, imagine me, you know, uh, being in high school during the Reagan years. And I don't think I'd paid a whole lot of attention. I'd I'd paid attention to the government, but not a lot of attention to the parties Mm -hmm. until... 84 when he was running for re-election 
um, and really noticing the differences between what it had been like in the late 70s, uh, early 80s, versus um, what it was by 84 when he was running. And, and it, it dawned on me this made a huge difference. I, I watched my mother get laid off. Um, you know, I went, uh, as I was mentioning, overseas for a year. We, you know, I was always worried about money, uh, you know, in the, in the family uh, in that process. And, you know, always thinking about how do we make sure there's opportunity? Am I going to be able to go to college? How am I going to figure that out, et cetera? So you start to think about that and all the government programs and the government waste that you run into, uh, and you realize the government's not necessarily the answer, as Reagan would say. Mm-hmm. It's, it oftentimes can be the problem. Mm-hmm. And when people are well-meaning, I think this is where we have to learn as conservatives um, to be persuasive. It sounds great when somebody says, hey, I'm going to uh, put together a new program. I'm going to give you more stuff. I'm going to do more for you. Santa and is what I've been told. it just sounds wonderful. Yeah. Too good to be true. Mm-hmm. And so recognizing that, boy, you know, Having grown up with my great-grandparents still alive, wow, they were very grounding. So anytime they started to hear things like, oh, you know, someone's going to do something for you or this is going to happen, it's going to fall from the sky, you know, they, they were grounded enough to be able to say, like, wait, you need to see the rest of the details. And so that's how it started for me. And by 84, I started moving more conservatively. By 88, it was locked in. Wow. Uh, and so, yeah, I was absolutely certain that, you know, more government equaled less ability and opportunity in the private sector. So I've, I've stuck with that. And then Tommy Thompson, if I'd known nothing um, beforehand, to watch somebody be able to use the levers of government to actually pull it in a conservative direction. And, and for instance, you know, I, I got a t- chance to implement a quarter of a billion dollars worth of welfare to work for him. Uh, and um, the fact that he privatized it, people just don't realize we used to have thousands of employees across the state whose job it was to process welfare claims. Thousands. Every county, all 72 counties, had public employees who got pensions. And no matter what the economy was, whether we were booming or busting, the number of people on welfare always seemed to go up. And so we ended up with more and more and more union members in the public unions with more and more people processing welfare. He finally got to the point of saying, we need to end welfare as we know it, and we did, and we privatized it, and today there are only a dozen agencies, private sector, who run it, and there are no more government officials running the welfare program. Now, there are people who are doing other ancillary programs, but the part that actually paid people to sit on welfare does not exist that same way anyway um, in, in Wisconsin. Okay, so... My guest this morning, Will Martin, in the house. You know, when we last chatted, which was just last week, we uh, talked. Monday seems to be Mondays with Meg. Uh, Okay, I dig it. Okay, so yes, well, and I know we're going to have to, we're going to have to tune into the difference with Will Martin (laughs) out of Milwaukee, three p.m. Well, it sure does. I think it does. Uh, well, uh, we'll make it have, have a good ring to it. <laughs> have you chosen a, a theme song for it? Are you, you going to do it? No, I have not. And this is going to be a very interesting thing. I'm just leaving it to the station to figure out, like, here's, oh. you know, I'll walk in and it'll be a surprise. Hillbilly music, maybe. Yeah, we'll no. see. I don't know. Probably little... not. This is, this is <laughs> actually, um, when you talked about how do, we, how do we win, how we win is going to talk to people we don't normally talk to. Right. So I, this is actually not a show it's a conservative talk show, 
but it's not a conservative talk show on a conservative station. It's actually um, a show on the only black-owned talk radio station in the state. Wow, that's awesome. I'm going to go and talk to people who typically vote Democrat. Why? Because, as I said with Tommy Thompson, he won 40% of the black vote. When he won that, he won, therefore, all of Milwaukee County. Because if you can win a, a portion of the city, you can win the county. We haven't been thinking that way in our party. And mm-hmm. they are fundamentally conservative people in our communities. Look, nobody likes crime. Nobody's enjoying Bidenflation. Uh, folks want a job to be able to work, uh, you know, and so and be able to uh, afford the things you worked for. Mm-hmm. So taking that message to folks that typically vote the other way, if we can peel off people and begin to persuade them like I was per- pers- uh, persuaded back in the 80s, We've got a whole new generation of people who would be voting with us for another generation. You know, I uh, the word that just popped into my head is I don't think I don't think anyone likes uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And if we can somehow communicate that message to those that have typically relied on the government to solve their problems or take care of them and say, "Do you really want to have to rely on on a an entity, a government entity, the uncertainty of having to ask somebody else to support you as opposed to saying, you know what, I'm going to do this myself. And mm-hmm. I can I can be certain of my abilities. I can be certain of my, um, again, my ability to provide for myself. But, you know, maybe there's something, you know, because I'm always, I, I think I have like a sales marketing mind and I'm always trying to figure out what's, you know, an uncertainty isn't actually a, a positive. So maybe the better word would be certainty. Yeah. And, you know, we could be certain of what we are able to to do for ourselves. And, and you know, I think about talking points for yeah. Republicans. Well, I, you know, Johnson had the Great Society, right, where Great Society would take care of you, right, and introduced all these programs. I want to see Wisconsin become the Opportunity Society, Mm-hmm. where everybody has opportunity, but it's based on your desire to go after that opportunity mm-hmm. and, and that the public sector should be helping encourage to make sure the rules of the road are the same for everybody. But it should not be equality of outcome. And that's what the government's been trying mm-hmm. to do is use our money to try to regulate exactly the same outcome for everybody. It just doesn't work that way, which I think we call socialism off, uh, often so. Right. Well, and and I well, and I think there are other buzzwords that Democrats, the left, has invented this DEI, mm-hmm. and you know they they make it they they make it look so uh, enticing and so yeah. positive, and and yet it really it it really doesn't lift anyone up. Well, it, well I, there are some people that get lifted up, and I'll tell you exactly okay, who. Yes. It's the guys who are making the money as the DEI coordinator or the mm-hmm. DEI director or the mm-hmm. DEI vice president. So, yeah, you're right in terms of the the, the vast majority of us. Those uh, that they claim it's supposed to help, right, that don't rise, right, th- they right. don't rise up. As opposed to saying, how do we make sure that folks get an equal opportunity for education, right? So, you know, I look at school choice. How is school choice such a bad thing? You know, if you listen to the liberals, you would swear that we were trying to actually close down all schools in right. Wisconsin, right? When really, we just need to speak up more and tell folks what we're doing is making sure that people are not stuck in failed schools, where the union isn't what's driving education, 
what should be driving education are the parents and the children and our desire to make sure that they reach their God-given potential. We, we just don't fight back. And, and you, don't, you and I talked about fighting versus, you know, arguing um, versus persuading, mm-hmm. right? We've got to do a lot more persuading and a lot less yelling. One, you know, amongst ourselves, we've got to stop screaming at each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just means a lot more deaf people walking around in the process, <laughs> right? But we've, we've got to find a way to be able to talk with each other. And that's why I continue to come back to we need to persuade people. If you believe that the public school system is great, send your kids to the public school system. Wonderful. Right. But if you believe that your children are not getting the education they deserve, uh, and it's a constitutional right in this state, then you should be allowed to send your kids where they will thrive. Well, and I think, too, that those who are in opposition to school choice, they don't realize that if there is competition, that's going to actually make public schools better. So if if there is no incentive for public schools to ever change to become the best solution for children in this state, well, then they're not. it's not ever going to happen. And so I think school choice actually strengthens all, all school options. If what you're trying to do is educate people and make sure that they get reach their God-given minor potential. Detail. That is a minor detail because <laughs> what we really end up arguing, what, what liberals typically are arguing about is you're taking money from the public schools. It, it was never the public school's money to begin with. It's the taxpayer's money. It's the parent's money. And so we're investing in the child, not in, the, in this infrastructure, not in this public union not in this one-size-fits-all or fits-none mm-hmm. um, process, right? So so those are the kinds of ways that I think about in terms of opportunity society, making sure that Wisconsin's giving, uh, you know, credence to support to families who are just trying to live out the best way they can their own American dream. It's interesting um, because that's the argument that I've heard from the left is that you're taking money from mm-hmm. the public schools. Um it isn't the public school's money to begin with. And that's something that they always seem to forget, that we should really, we, we you know, I, I have the receipt. I paid, I paid my taxes, so I should be able to know um, underneath the dollar, alongside the dollar amount that I'm paying, what I'm getting. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and I should actually have some say in it. I mean, when you go to a store and you buy a product, you get to select. You get to choose what you want to purchase. Right. We should also have that same ability when it comes to you know education. What, you know what we get right now? You get the bill. Right. right? You get the right. bill. And the bill tells you how much you paid. Doesn't, As you say, it doesn't tell you what you paid for. Right. So in that, what they're not telling you is that for schools and school choice, actually only a portion of the money you paid goes to a school choice school. It's the public school that's keeping the residual. Mm-hmm. They take part off the top. That's part one. Part two is we never talk about what the outcomes are. You know that there are, are um, several schools in Milwaukee public schools where no one, zero students are meeting proficiency, I reading or math, reading or math. Zero percent. So, so this is where we've got to be able to make the argument. This is why I'm so... Um, driven by the statistics, you know. So we talked about government waste last mm-hmm. week, and, and there's some more examples that I have. Yes, we'll but, be um, chatting about that. But those are the kinds of things that you look at. You know, 
um, there's uh, some legislation that's before Congress right now um, that would actually create more inflation. At the very time that, that, that uh, Biden's trying to swear to you that things are getting better, there are actually people in Congress trying to make it worse. Right. So there, there are all these streams where we've got a fundamental argument between folks who believe the government is the default. Mm-hmm. It should do. It should do versus, you know, having the market allow us to reach what we believe is best for our families, for ourselves, for our communities. Well, and, you know, the other thing that I always think about that another leftist argument is that you can never get them to commit to a number when how much does a good education cost? They can never say, oh, it's $10,000 per student. I mean, why is it that we can't put, I mean, there's a price, there's a price on every other product or service in the world. There is a price, Meg, because the next question they ask you is, how much do you have? Okay, there you go. The reason we talk about, hey, um, if there's money left over in the budget, putting another billion dollars in the schools is because, well, that's what you have. So we can always add more. In Racine, where I live, they actually had a um, referendum. It won by four votes. It's a billion dollars. With a B. A billion. This is not how much the total budget is. This is how much the referendum was for. A billion dollars. So... You know, again, when you start to ask the question, well, so what are you getting for that money? Every child should be a scholar. Every one of them should be above average, right? If mm-hmm. you're spending an additional billion dollars Everyone on should top, be graduating. Oh, my goodness. They should be the best students in the world, and we should have the inc- most incredible workforce ready to go. That should be true across the whole state for as much as we are spending. So the referendum presumably was uh, marketed if you will, by the school board. Oh, oh, yeah. And and so, did they give you an itemized list of what you're paying, you're getting? For or you're your getting new buildings, dollars? you know, and you don't, you know, how I don't love Build government buildings, right? right? Especially right. when you don't sell off the ones you have and put mm-hmm. them back on the tax rolls. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it was additional property. Uh, supposedly, we're going to get some new initiatives in there as well. But again, you know, we talk as if if. If people are living in low-income uh, communities, well, of course, it's it's impossible for young people to thrive and to achieve. Well, that's nonsense because you look all the way back through our history. We used to have, you know, one-room schoolhouses, right? Mm-hmm. Laura Ingalls made it work. Right. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry to say, and all sorts of people made it work, and it's been true throughout our entire history. It's it, We've been taught this lie. That's the amount of money we put in, and it's if you don't put more in, you're the one who's wanting to see the kids fail. Mm-hmm. What we should be doing is holding firm with our administrators, uh, with our school boards to say, show me the proficiency. We can talk. I've, I've talked to so many taxpayers around the state who say, including this weekend, I don't mind paying the taxes if we're going to get the result. Mm-hmm. What I mind is the waste. What That's I right. mind is a going for everything but what they told us it was going to have, you know, have happen. Accountability. Right. I mean, honestly. So I, I would imagine, like me, when you travel around the state or go to these sweet little towns all over Wisconsin. Seeley, Wisconsin. What, we were in Seeley. Seeley. Unincorporated. Okay. So. Which means they don't have a, a post office, correct? Isn't that what unincorporated means? Well, you know, I, I didn't look around to see, but... Um, I think that's what... But, but the Sawmill Saloon is there. 
Oh, well, hey, that's the, I'm glad that they have some businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing I notice often is when I when I pull into a small town in Wisconsin, the nicest, shiniest, most brand new buildings are always government buildings. How is that? Why is that? That mm-hmm. and and I and I think of, I think about the taxpayers in that community and how how the heck were they able to. I mean, some of the very, very modest and really kind of probably lower income mm-hmm. housing in in those some of the smaller communities. How can they possibly afford that government building? That uh, well, and and you know, you have to wonder what because we what, keep borrowing, right? I guess, I guess that's it's, it's it. It's the hidden bill, right? So, and you know, what borrowing. was so wrong with the the building that existed prior? Or I mean, and how many how many people? are actually working in that building to begin with that well, they can you know, justify that's a, it. That's a sore sp- I know. spot will, with me. We will get into that, mm-hmm. in fact. So stay tuned. Will Martin is my guest. Delighted that he is in studio. You're welcome anytime. And if it's going to be Mondays with Meg, I'm cool with that. Maybe it's yeah. show prep or at least inspiration, I hope, for your uh, 3 o'clock The Difference with uh, Will Martin. So stay tuned. We shall return maybe with an idea about a, a bumper song for for Will Martin on his show in Milwaukee. Stay tuned on The Meg Ellison Show on WSAU. We'll be right back. 